Good afternoon or morning, and welcome to another installment of the Predlines podcast. Uh, as usual, I'm your quote-unquote host, Michael Wade from Predlines.com, and fortunately this week, once again, joined by uh, both of the co-hosts uh, and also co-experts, George Matarangas, of course, who I assume at this point is back in Wisconsin. Is that correct? Yes, sir. It is freezing cold. I was going to say, it must be a little bit of shock from sunny California. Yeah, it's not fun. For sure. Uh, well, I will see you in Chicago next week, so get ready for that, because okay. that will be nice and toasty. Yay. Uh, and on the other end of things, uh, Corey Francis, how are you enjoying this uh, sort of uh, unpleasantly cold December we're having here in Tennessee? Um, it's it's kind of bitter. My face hurts. Go outside that way. Yeah, we're not used, to this, not used to this, like, 20s and even below uh, kind of thing down here, but... Anyhow, um, I sort of toyed with the idea of, you know, of course, we're recording this on Sunday afternoon, toyed with the idea of going uh, and supporting the Titans this afternoon. But really, um, I'm just going to save myself, I think, three hours of misery and (laughs) and watch it from the couch so I can only have partial misery, not uh, not the full experience. Uh, Anyhow, of course, we're here to talk about the other uh, the uh, arguably much better professional sports team in Nashville. Uh, who came off a, I think a pretty good week. They, you know, sputtered a bit right before Christmas, but they've they've bounced back pretty well. Uh, of course, going into St. Louis and putting up that big two-one win, uh, come off the Christmas break and try to start on a on a high note, and I think they did that well against a very good St. Louis Blues. Um, mostly, I you know just to dive right in, I think I was mostly pleased for Pecorine, who of course had a very shaky showing against uh, the Hurricanes just before the break and this was kind of this was his first game back so I was, I was a little worried to see how he would bounce back but of, of course just allowing the one goal so he, he put up a pretty good showing. Uh, Corey were there any kind of uh, th- big themes you took away from that or the, the Predators second visit to St. Louis this year? You know I, I was glad to see them come off this this Christmas break and go into a tough place to play and pull out two points. I mean, I think that's the most important thing of all of that. Having some struggles at home, some struggles recently, you know, just kind of towards the end of the uh, the time before Christmas and just getting on the right track. You know, we, we saw um, Craig Smith notching a, a nice goal. We've got Kelly Yarncroke still, uh, still doing his thing. So, I mean, I think it's uh, – I think it was just nice to get get on the skates and get a win in a tough place to play. That was the best part about all of that. Yeah, I would. You know, you always kind of circle. Well, at least this season, with the way things have going or have been going, you kind of circle those those visits to big divisional opponents like St. Louis, uh, like Winnipeg. So anytime you can go into their their arena and get the win, especially the second win of the season in that uh, in their barn, that's always nice. In terms of uh, shot generation and, and kind of puck possession, it was really a tale of sort of two halves. The Blues um, had the advantage, uh, even though the Predators got the early goal in the first period, the, the Blues had the possession advantage through almost exactly 30 minutes, and then it, it switched pretty sharply into the Predators' favor. Um, you, you know, George, we're used to seeing kind of 20 minutes of effort, maybe 40 minutes of effort. Uh, it's kind of rare to see a 30 minute, uh, 30 minute advantage for the Predators or any, anything you kind of took away from this performance in St. Louis. Um, I don't know. It, it was two hard fought battles between two very good teams. And I really like the Blues a lot, uh, coming in this year. Um, I'm actually a little scared because I've heard a lot that they might acquire uh, Mike Hoffman. That's in the current rumor that I've been hearing a lot, which would just really create even more depth scoring for them. That would make them even more dangerous. But uh, I don't know. I As far as that game goes, I was very impressed with the uh, Predators' defense as they did a much better job than they usually do of keeping shots from uh, the net front and high-danger areas where actually in turn they put a lot of, uh, they put a lot of shots on net from those exact high danger areas uh, in their offensive zone. So I was pretty happy with that. Um, I just remember Craig Smith was everywhere that night. He was just on fire. He was just generating so many chances and so many goals. Just looking at his, just looking at some of his stats, and he had, he was on the ice for four high danger chances, four while only being on for one against. And he did that while starting in the offensive zone 28.57% of the time, which is like 
Wow. Yeah, the, that's very low. It's like the exact opposite of what him and that tourist line's been getting so far this season. So right. it was nice to kind of see that change a little bit. And I thought we might see that we might see more kind of neutral zone or not neutral, but more even balanced zone starts for him. But yeah, that didn't really hold for too long. And I believe that was the game that uh, Craig Smith tied his goal total from last season uh, already. So just through um, a little over 30 games, he's already matched his goal production from last season. So that's definitely great to see his. He just has kind of a high energy, um, kind of high octane style of play. It's it's more about being very aggressive and, and never really shutting the legs down. And it's nice to see him get rewarded for that kind of effort this year. Um, so far, having a great season there, mostly on the second line. Um, and, and yeah, like like Corey said, you know, the big thing that mattered in that game was was just going and getting the two points, however it happened. Um, and then George, like you mentioned, ended up being a really good game, really good defensive battle that uh, Nashville just was able to hang on to that victory, although they did allow yet another late goal um, in the third to make things interesting. But they were able to hold on this time around. Um, a, in my opinion, a pretty poor showing then uh, up to St. Paul to play the Wild in their barn, of course, just the night before coming back down for a rematch. Uh, the first first game um, of that back-to-back, I, I wasn't particularly impressed with Nashville's performance. Um, you know, they showed a, a bit of signs of life uh, coming back and, and making things interesting. I guess they were down just uh, 3-2 for a little a little while in the third, so it was pretty close before they allowed the empty netter. Um, really, though, I think after the first period, it could have easily been 4 or even 5 nothing for Minnesota. So for Nashville to escape that first period just down by a goal, I thought was pretty lucky. And then, of course, they got in the second, uh, I think, I believe it was the second, if I'm remembering correctly, Minnesota had their uh, third goal called back before then getting another third goal. Uh, So, you know, it was mostly the wild in this game, uh, at least in terms of scoring and uh, just in terms of who looked dangerous. Corey, were were there any takeaways from this one that you you noticed kind of right off the bat? Well, I mean, if watching that game, it just seems, I don't know if they were... (laughs) ready when they got off the bus and they got out of the arena. I mean, it's, they, it was very flat to start off the game. Like everything they tried to do, there wasn't a lot of aggressiveness going towards the puck. Uh, they weren't really trying to possess the puck. They were just kind of holding on to it for a little bit. They really weren't trying to, it seemed like they were just on the ice, not really doing a lot to start off the game. And that's what really killed them. You get those early goals by Minnesota. Like I said, that third one that, that got, uh, um, got called off. But, I mean, in the first 11 minutes, you've got, um, you know, two goals, one on the power play from Minnesota. And it's just it, – I think that just was just because how flat that the Predators came out looking that night. And, you know, they, they put a lot of shots on goal the rest of the game. And, and they, you know, kind of won the Corsi battle, if you want to call it that. But it was just not a – it was just a very flat performance to start off with. They could never recover from there. Yeah, and you're right. I think they were outshot ten nothing by the time Minnesota scored their first goal. So, uh, yeah, you're right. Nashville just really was sluggish to get started, and, and discipline was a huge issue in the game. I thought it's kind of every time Nashville seemed to kind of get things going, kind of get the wheels start spinning, someone would commit just a pointless penalty, and things would start to swing back in Minnesota's favor. It's an issue that we've seen so many times this year already, and it's really disheartening to see it continue for so long. When I think it's it should be such a, a simple fix, um, you know. As much as I love him, players like Matthias Ekholm, they just got to stop getting involved in that off the puck stuff. Uh, yes, I saw him get cross checked into the boards, and yes, I saw him get elbowed in the face. But of course, it was his cross check then that got penalized. Um, I, you know, if you watch Ekholm kind of skate around, you you'll see that he is. He, uh, you know, he's an aggressive player. He talks to other other players a lot, uh, gets in people's faces. And really, if that's if it's going to be a discipline issue for the team, then players like I mean, he's one of the guys that really I think needs to just check that kind of behavior and, and understand that it's more important that he just skate away. Uh, George, anything you'd like to add about this uh, loss in Minnesota? Uh, just going back to that, uh, just going back to that Matias Ekholm thing. I remember, I think it was Chris Chelios had a very similar issue with that, where in the very beginnings of his career, uh, I think it was in Montreal, he had, or maybe it was Chicago, I think, I'm pretty sure it was Montreal, though, where he had this issue where he was just pugnacious, where he'd fight people just, you know, at the drop of a hat, and 
his coach at the time had to sit him down and say, "Listen, you're too valuable to take to you know take yourself off the ice for five minutes at a time." And at this point, although he's not fighting, Matias Ekholm's too valuable to take himself off for two minutes at a time, especially considering he's the second best penalty killer on the team. Um, yeah, it's it's a little bit ridiculous, and I know we can talk about how they missed how the referees missed calls, but if you're going to cross check someone in front of the net like that, who's nowhere near the puck, you know it, the refs aren't going to miss that one. That's that that was a very dumb penalty to take, which Matias Ekholm doesn't usually make. Um, as far as this game goes, I think the biggest story was uh, was uh, penalties and just taking too many. Also, you just look at the penalties. Um, the Wild, although they only had a goal, they had five high danger chances on the penalty or on the power play, where the Predators only had one, and they were lucky to score just from that uh, alone. And if you actually follow that through, uh, if you actually follow it to five on five, you'll notice that's like that's where the main difference is. The Predators did win the possession battle uh, as they produced 60% of the uh, shot attempts for, but they just got crushed in, uh, with high danger chances uh, with nine of their own and then 12 against. It's Like you said, it's a little bit incredible that uh, the Wild only really came out 4-2 to two or 3-2 to two with the goalie in. This game could have been a lot uglier had Rene not you know, been up to his normal heroics. Yeah, and I guess just like I said, just kind of a general... Not very satisfying game from the Predators' perspective. Uh, I was excited. You know, you beat a, a very tough divisional team in St. Louis, and then you go into Minnesota, um, who's having a, a kind of a very lukewarm season. They're, they're still in the picture, but um, in fact, I believe at this point they're still in a playoff spot. I could be wrong, though. You know, you hope to carry that momentum against a big team like St. Louis and, and just kind of bury Minnesota, but... Uh, they, that's obviously not what happened. Uh, discipline issues and allowing allowing those chances in the slot really uh, ended up burying Nashville. Uh, the good news, as uh, I believe it was Johansson mentioned in his kind of post game interview after the game to, in Minnesota, you know you can learn from those mistakes and immediately apply what you've learned because you get the another chance uh, the next night. And I think that Nashville did a great job. Um, back at home against Minnesota, obviously getting a shutout is always, um, you know, something to be celebrated, especially with uh, the backup netminder in. I thought the real kind of small victories in the game were definitely the penalties. Uh, I think in the second period, Minnesota took three penalties to Nashville zero, which is great. I mean, that's the exact kind of second period you need to have, especially in a very tight scoreless game. Uh, and I think that although there were any goals scored in the second, it really helped push the momentum uh, in Nashville's favor for the for the final period to close things out strong. Um, obviously, Saros played incredibly well. Uh, you know, the 29 save shutout. He was uh, he wasn't challenged, I think, consistently throughout the game, but there were definitely a few chances where um, I I couldn't really believe he kept it out. It, you know, a lot of complete scrums in front of the net, and just for whatever, however it happened, the puck kind of came back out towards center ice. Um, it was a fun. It was a fun atmosphere uh, last night. Lots of lots of chanting for UC Saros, which is always great when you get the the backup becoming quickly becoming sort of a fan favorite. Um, Corey, other than you know, obviously getting a three nothing win, or any any kind of things you noticed about this game that you liked or didn't like? Uh, well, I mean, if you look at the two games back to back. If I'm looking at the shot charts, and and you know, on the first game, Minnesota had ten shots right at the net. And I think only one of those. I think one of those went in um, early on in the game, but uh, against Rene. So Rene really did a great job in just you know protecting that. But Soros did really well as well. If you look at the shot chart for last night, nine of those nine shots for Minnesota were right around the net. I mean, there's four of them, five of them, right in front of the crease, like right in the very front of the crease. Um, and he shot. He stopped them all. I mean, he did just a fantastic job of. of um, of blocking things, but I think the I think the Predators play with a little bit more energy on the ice too. Especially, I think the first ten minutes were a little bit lazy again. But once we got going, once the team kind of got a feel for for things, it really started to uh, attack the puck and really go after things and poke check things away and and uh, get into the uh, neutral zone and offensive zone a little bit more than we saw on Friday night. So I, I think, you know, yes, they Soros did a great job as well, but I think the Predators did a great job of just keeping the puck out of the de- de- defensive zone as much as they did the night before. Yeah, I was the only kind of uh, critique I have of the performance 
is that when you look at the like you mentioned kind of the shooting heat maps from last night's game the the game in nashville um nashville's sort of all over the place they did put a lot of good pressure on the net um basically the teams showed two very different ways to get 29 shots on goal minnesota <laughs> was very direct about getting right in front of net um kind of trying to create chaos Nashville, on the other hand, was just kind of shooting from all over. They had a lot of shots from kind of the around the blue line area, including, uh, you know, P.K. Subban's goal. Hartnell had that great wraparound uh, chance, which, of course, came from right right behind, uh, right beside the net. Um, and then the empty net goal from uh, way outside from Arvidsson. But the shots are kind of all over the place, uh, whereas Minnesota seemed a little more determined to just take pucks right to that, uh, you know, dangerous area, which is, uh, you know, something Nashville's really struggled with all year and, and continues to, but it seems like they're just sort of going to accept that uh, disadvantage and try to win games anyway. Um, whether that's advised or not, I guess we'll find out. Uh, George, your takeaways from the the second game of this back-to-back? Yeah, if UC Saros had had an average game, um, Minnesota would have walked away with four points this weekend. It I don't know. I, I didn't really see a ton that I loved. I it was good that they won the possession battle and and all that, but they just cannot they just can't do anything about uh the shots coming from directly in front of the net. And it's really concerning. They're seventeenth in the in the NHL, uh or I guess thirteenth actually in the NHL with uh with high danger chances allowed, which is extremely average. But then they're uh twenty seventh or yeah, twenty seventh in the NHL at with high danger chances for. They're I mean, they've just been getting so lucky as far as what goals have gone in and what goals have been kept out of by Rene and Saros. And I think you saw when Saros wasn't at his best, especially in the beginning of the season, he was just getting creamed in that, and he was getting a little offensive help to sh- you know to show for it. I do think that the Prayers did a better job uh, on Saturday night rather than Friday night, but still, like uh, Minnesota had eleven high danger chances to the Predators' five at five on five. I mean, they, they doubled it. That's that can't happen. You can't expect to get doubled in that in that instance, and then walk away with a victory, especially especially with five on five goals. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I I didn't I didn't think it was, they played poorly. I thought they played okay. I just again, it seems it seems like they're content with just playing along the perimeter and just getting shots from the point, which cool. But it, you're not when defenses get tightened down and when fast and loose hockey isn't played anymore, especially in the playoffs, it's not going to cut it. That's that's a recipe for disaster. Yeah, and and I was hoping you know they can't kind of keep getting these breaks, these small breaks like the over the holiday and that sort of thing. And that's I, I realize that they're they're going to try to get rest and you know take care of their bodies. But I always kind of hope that they'll use that day or two of extra practice to just try to you know turn some of these screws, things that have really been left us scratching our heads for the first thirty plus games. Um, and yet it just seems like they're they're going to keep uh, <laughs> kind of keep slamming their head against the same wall. Well, and, it, and that's, it, you know, it, as good as it is to get wins, it kind of it's it's almost a, a double edged sword, because as long as they're winning, they're not going to really see any need to change anything. But I think, what you know, you're right. It doesn't take much in a, in a game situation to change before this system really will not be effective at all, um, especially in the playoffs when it's the best of the best and, and teams are playing very tight defense and very conservatively. Well, that's that's the thing, too, is that I don't, just looking from the personnel on this roster, I don't think there's some talent, you know, shortage. You have Ryan Johansson, who's one of the better passers in the game today. You have Philip Forsberg, who does a really good job of getting to the high danger areas in the ice and getting open. Uh, Scott Hartnell is really good at making at making space, especially in front of that net. Uh, Craig Smith, Kyle Turris, uh, Kevin Fiala especially has really come into his own. I mean, in my opinion, he's been playing great hockey ever since the season began as far as driving possession and driving high danger chances, but he you know, he was just extremely snake bitten, but it, it shouldn't be this hard for this roster, which tells me that it's a coaching it, I think it's a coaching issue. Especially in the defensive zone with those high danger areas. I mean the Predators boast a top three defense in the NHL without Ryan Ellis. And with Ryan Ellis, I you know, they're probably they're most likely the best defense in the NHL. I don't want to make any definitive statements at the moment, but it shouldn't be this bad. And again, it's not for lack of talent. So it kind of points me at coaching. Yeah. And I, I think you're right. And I, if I knew how to fix it, I would probably be an NHL coach, <laughs> um, you know, but I think we can all agree that you you can diagnose the issue, even if you can't offer a solution. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But, you know, as, I guess, like I said, as long as they keep getting the two points, you know, who cares, right? <laughs> Until it becomes uh, they're not letting, they're no longer getting those results. Mm-hmm. Um, so, of course, a big kind of talking point this week, uh, and we saw just one game uh, since this news broke. Uh, Forsberg, Philip Forsberg is out. He's on injured reserve, which, of course, means a minimum of about a week um, or three games, I suppose. Uh, it's an undisclosed upper body problem, I believe was the wording. It's extremely vague. Uh, it was even quite a bit later that they announced that it was upper body. At first, it was just he left with a problem. Um, I think I was not alone in sort of expecting it to be maybe a, similar to the Johansson injury, which we never really learned what that was. I assume sort of a concussion type issue. Um, I was expecting kind of a similar maybe a week or two out. But uh, unfortunately for Predators fans, Nick Kiprios went on Sportsnet last night uh, during the Canucks-Kings game and said that it will probably be between two and six weeks and leaning maybe even towards the six week mark. Um, so I, I kind of touched on this in, in my article today, uh, Corey, I get, I'll just give you a very <laughs> kind of a very dramatic sounding question. Do you think this offense can really uh, survive and kind of keep up with opponents without Forsberg on the, on the roster? Good question. Um, Cause I mean, you're looking at the, the point leader, the goal scoring leader for the team, but there's been a lot of great play coming off of other players recently, like Kelly Yarncroak, who's, who's taken over that uh, Philip For- For- Forsberg spot in that Jofa line. So, I mean, he's been playing really, really well. He's got, he's got a lot of great points the last 10 games. Uh, he's been all over the ice. And, of course, Victor Arvidsson is still all over the ice, just being a maniac when he plays. I love it. Um, so, I mean, Forsberg kind of lifted up that third line a bit. Um that's that's going to be the concern. Can we get enough point production from the third line? Which means, you know, players like Benino, players like Aberg, you know, there's going to be there's going to have to be someone step up. Hartnell, uh, Kyle Turris is going to have to step up and actually score some goals as opposed to just getting assists. I know he got a goal the other night. Um, I think there's enough talent to cover up the hole right now, but. I don't know how long it will last. If it's two weeks, okay, we can we can manage maybe two weeks. If it's going to be six weeks, we're we're talking a little bit more problem there. And um, that's what really bothers me is that it's just so vague. We don't know. We didn't. It, we we barely know that it's an upper body thing, which means it could be a concussion, it could be a shoulder, it could be a a rib issue, it could be something internal like a hernia or whatever as well. There could be other things going on we don't know about. Um, so. You know, I think they can cover it for a while. Six weeks, I have some concerns there. Yeah, and the only really, uh, you know, good silver lining, I guess, to the six-week prognosis, and again, that is speculation, although Kiprios does tend to be correct about these things. Uh, That is just speculation at this point. Uh, The only silver lining is that it is uh, currently December 31st and not, you know, March, uh, February 30th or January than it is to do in March and April. Exactly. Um, and George, I'll kind of give you the same question, although I assume that was that was going to be sort of your point as well, uh, just about the point of the season. Um, do you think this offense can kind of maintain a competitive production without Forsberg? Uh, probably. I mean, I'll, I'll say yes. I, I don't know. I, I, you know, Jaren Croak's definitely not Forsberg, and I don't know. I don't really like this because it probably means that Cody McLeod's now now going to be a permanent member of the lineup while Forsberg's out, just because they don't they won't keep up <laughs> Freddie Goudreau. Are you suggesting that Cody McLeod is not an acceptable substitute for Philip Forsberg? You know, he's never he's never been put in a position to succeed, so we just don't know. Quite, quite frankly, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Put him on the first line, and we'll see. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, Kipri is saying that's going to be six weeks is probably a good thing because usually concussions are kind of like a week to week basis, and I, I didn't see the hits. So I can't really speculate. I can only speculate on the uh, on the uh, on the length of the injury that's been speculated upon. Um, so you know, take everything I say with a grain of salt, but. Something tells me it's probably a broken collarbone or it's probably a dislocated shoulder of some kind. But hopefully, hopefully it's not a concussion. That would be that would be the absolute worst thing that it could possibly be, in my opinion. Because especially like you know, you can bones heal it. You can come back from a broken collarbone 100%. Dislocated shoulders the first time can be come back from 100%. But 
concussions can really keep you out for a long time. I mean, especially if they rush him back like they did to Sidney Crosby back in like 2011. Like, oh, it could be real bad. But I'm glad that they're willing to actually take the time to to keep him out for a while. I'm glad that they've. I'm glad they're going to let him heal. Yeah, and I'm I'm kind of with you. I think this team has players that can step up uh, and produce. Obviously, Kevin Fiala has been has really come into his own lately and getting results for it. Um, you know, that second line has kind of done a decent job at carrying the offense when we saw, you know, Johansson miss time and now Forsberg will miss time, although they've been playing Forsberg kind of around the lineup. Which, which uh, I, I liked. thought it was very interesting. I, yeah, I like yeah, that I mean, they did that. As, yeah. as you described him, you know, he's a he can be a possession driving winger, so it makes sense to um, take him off a line that has no issues generating possession and, and put him somewhere where they could use it more. So I think that was a good like, even though it's not maybe the the sexiest way to apply a player like Philip Forsberg, I think uh, um, it was probably a smart move. So it will be interesting to see, kind of like Corey mentioned, you know, how those third and fourth lines, uh, the lower half of that forward group uh, can respond with maybe some new faces. Um, you know, I I anticipate we'll see a bit more of Mika Salamaki, although he, I thought, played very poorly in Minnesota. But, you know, everyone's allowed to have a bad game. I don't think that should really... Uh, you know affect his future playtime, but you know these players that have kind of been slotted around and, and appear every now and then will probably see a bit more time just because there's that open spot on the on the forward group um, of course Freddie Goudreau was the first recalled but he has uh, I believe officially been sent back today to Milwaukee um, which <laughs> he's got to have a soft spot for Goudreau because I think he really um, I think he's really on the cusp of being a very good member of this team and he just kind of yo-yos back and forth but I guess that's it's just kind of the life of, of an AHL player, um, which uh, him, him getting sent back, of course, is a very good sign. We'll see Ryan Ellis probably on Tuesday in Vegas. Uh, if not then, then certainly on this road trip. Now, I've seen a lot of over-speculation about Ryan Ellis, and I tend to roll my eyes. And basically what I'm referring to is people calling Ryan Ellis the best defenseman on this team. Uh. Uh, Ryan Ellis, people thinking Ryan Ellis will revolutionize the way this team is performing. I could be wrong. I guess I could say I hope I'm wrong, but I I don't anticipate a major adjustment, a major change coming from Ellis returning. Um, but, you know, I, like I said, I could be wrong. So, Corey, do you think, you know, do you think this team will really benefit from Ellis coming back? Do you think it will kind of be more of the same? Where are you on this? Uh, this Ryan Ellis thing. Well, I think what's going to benefit the team the most in terms of Ellis coming back is not necessarily in the offensive end. Yes, he's, he has the ability to score 16 goals like he did last year, 22 assists last year, you know. But I think what really is going to be beneficial is the play in front of the net. Um, he led the team last year in blocks, 137 blocks uh, of pucks around the net last year, you know, on, on shots last year. So I think that's where we're going to see the most improvement. The, the puck's not going to be getting to the net quite as often because now we've got the more we got more depth in this in the defensive end of the of the of the game. So with Ellis being on the ice, hopefully they'll suppress a lot of the uh, shots that we're seeing get put up against the Predators. I mean, the Predators are, what, I uh, uh, think a minus 82 in shots uh, difference this year, which is huge considering that it's usually a, a plus or minus, you know, three or four per game on average, maybe plus or minus eight uh, for a team average on the season. We're minus 82 shots in the shot differential. So I think it's really going to help suppress some shots. I don't think that – I think that's where you're going to see the, the biggest advantage for – the Predators having Ellis back, especially especially with um, Vegas on the docket next, because they're a very high-scoring five-on-five team, and that's where we need the help. Uh, yeah, as far as Ryan Ellis goes, I think we're probably going to see something similar to, to last season with uh, where you have that Ryan Ellis and Roman Yossi pair that's just sheltered to pretty much you know the extent that they can be with probably like 60% zone starts in the offensive zone. And you'll probably see around, I don't know, maybe uh, you'll, probably, you'll see Subban at home reunited and just eat a lot of really tough minutes. I'm just really curious about what they're going to be doing because right now, with, if Ellis returns uh, on Tuesday, which, you know, for the sake of the argument, let's say that he does, the Predators will have, like, what, 10 forwards and 8 defensemen on their roster? Or 
something like that, maybe 11 forwards and an eight defensemen. And yeah, someone's got to go. I mean, who are you going to send down? Are you going to send Boteto, Irwin, or Weber? My, my thought's Weber, but the you know the team loves him because he's right-handed uh, shot. Um, so it's probably going to be Boteto just because I, although Weber hasn't played, or not Weber, but Irwin hasn't played well this season, but or as well this season, but Boteto's just been such a liability in his own zone that it's a little crazy. No matter how many times he tries to skate the puck up, I just, I, I get nervous just watching him handle the puck for even more than a second. So I'm a little curious to see I, how it's going to go. I agree. I, Boteto seems to be a decent, um, you know, your, your decent third-pairing defenseman. But I think um, in his mind, he has, like, you know, Roman Yossi or P.K. Subban's abilities to exit the zone. Uh, he tries to really just get the puck moving by himself from behind his own net a lot. And relatively speaking, it goes wrong quite often. You know, I've... I forget the game exactly. Um, I was <laughs> sitting in it with a good view of, you know, behind, I believe UC Saros was in net, behind UC Saros net. And I think Boteto may have turned it over two or three times just in that game alone in that position. And, you know, talk about in areas you don't want to turn the puck over. It's, I mean, your defensive zone has got to be number one. Like yeah. you cannot allow a defenseman to turn the puck over consistently in the defensive zone. So that does not, uh, that's not a good look for Anthony Boteto. I agree that I'm I'm not a huge fan of Yannick Weber's performance, especially I, I guess recently, kind of inexplicably started taking a lot of penalties, which is again something that you just cannot have from your third pairing defenseman. Um, you know, they basically are there to do no harm, um, just kind of keep the team afloat until one or two can come back out. And you know who looks good though, uh, who's only a quick phone call away, is uh, Alexander Carrier. Good right-handed shot in Milwaukee. Hasn't played great offensively, See, I, but I he's been working be on his so two-way game. I think if they have, you know, they have a surplus of defensemen suddenly, and they decide to just bring in an entirely new player and drop three of them. Um, I'd love it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I think it'd be. I'm not hugely. I think Matt Irwin has been the best of these three, hmm. but I still see at times just when he's got the puck. Really, the the number one thing I noticed about Matt Irwin, and I haven't actually found any, you know, I haven't looked for any numbers to really back this up. But when you watch the game, he doesn't have because I guess because he doesn't have the abilities and the speed of Nashville's better defensemen, he's very um, I don't know, hesitant to get up in the play. So when he's when Nashville's in in the zone in, in the zone, they've established the zone. You know, normally when the puck kind of trickles back to the point, the defenseman like a defenseman like Yossi or Subban. Um, they'll skate up, you know, and be aggressive to try to keep the puck in the zone. Irwin will just immediately turn around and hightail it back um, to try to not get, you know, burned, which I appreciate because he probably would get burned. Um, you know, no disrespect to Matt Irwin, but he's not the fastest defenseman on the team by any stretch. But I think that that, that becomes a liability when you, when you have that weakness in keeping the puck in, in your zone and keeping possession of the puck, um, you know, which Nashville tends to have trouble with at times. So I think Irwin's been the best of these three. But like you said, somebody's got to go. Uh, and and you're right, they will probably lean towards keeping Weber just because of that right-handed thing. Uh, you know, they, they definitely appreciate that about him. So it will be very interesting because they're going to have a, a big decision make coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I guess having a surplus of uh, serviceable or great defensemen is never a bad thing, but it will make for a very interesting decision. Mm-hmm. Once we get Ellis back, which again should hopefully be Tuesday, if not Tuesday, then probably later on this week. Um, let's see another player that we, sh- I mean, just has deserved to be a huge talking point is UC Saros, of course, who started the season slowly. Um, I I wish I had screenshotted all of the tweets. And Reddit comments and etc. about how UC Saros is actually just too small to make it in this league. Um, I guess after two or three games, people had completely forgotten about how good he was last season and decided that he is no longer uh, the future goaltender of this team. Um, frankly, yeah, I just think those people should be named and shamed, but <laughs> I guess that's, that's not very professional. Um, anyhow, over the past five games... Uh, which includes, I guess, a partial game, a partial appearance in against Carolina, although he did play almost the entire game. He has a 9-7-1 save percentage, <laughs> including three shutouts, which is just mind-boggling, mind um, especially in that Edmonton game where 
he, it was like what a forty six save shutout, I believe. Yeah, um, it was just him out there. Yeah, so uh, you know, Corey, are you? I I'm a, I think highly enough of both of your intelligence to assume that neither of you really were worried about UC Soros, but. Uh, you know, Corey, are you are you perhaps a little more? Can you rest a little easier now that we've seen that Saros has kind of refound his old form, if not better? You know, actually, I was worried about him at the very beginning of the year because it's hard to come back from slumps like that. When you know, I'm I, I'm like I, I've always talked about baseball and things like that. I remember Chuck Knobloch and Rick and Keel just having the yips and just throwing you couldn't throw the ball to first base to save their lives, and they never got back from those things. And I know hockey is completely different, but. You start seeing that puck go in the go in the net behind you all the time. It's hard to recuperate. Well, guess what? Now his goals against average and his save percentage are actually better than Pecorine's on the season, uh, which I think it's it's great to see him out there working really hard. His teammates are lifting him up. They're giving you know they're being real positive around him as well. I think the atmosphere has been really helpful for him. I'm I'm grateful to see that uh, uh, him doing what he's been doing and I can rest a little easier when he's in that. Now I, I used to really fret over those games and now I'm just kind of like, okay, Soros has been playing really good hockey. Let's see what happens tonight. And I don't feel as nervous about those games. Well, it's definitely, you know, I listened to a lot of different hockey podcasts and radio shows and stuff last year and Nashville really made it, uh, made it into kind of the spotlight because of their ability to win games with their backup in net. A lot of teams basically were just taking a loss every time they had to start their backup goalie, which I think really to have a playoff season, you need to go at least 500, uh, I would say, with your backup in net. And Nashville has an ability to be almost as good, if not better, with UC Saros in net because he's playing so well. So it's it's a huge, you know, it's when he's playing poorly, it's, it certainly is bad for him because I really want him to continue to develop mentally and physically. You know, I want him to be confident. But as far as a team, you know, it's it's not the end of the world. It's more that when he is playing well, it is such an advantage for Nashville over some other teams who really struggle with a backup goaltender. Nashville has two two goalies that are extremely serviceable and often win games for the team, which is just a you know huge advantage. And George, I guess I'll. This is a question I was going to ask a little later on, but this makes sense to talk about it now. Do you think you know we should see Saros in more games? You know, not not necessarily just back to backs and kind of you know Rene getting pulled and that sort of thing, but just no kind of run of the mill Tuesday night games. Do you think we should start seeing some more UC Saros? Uh, yes, and I'm preface this by saying that I think Pecorino is still the guy in Nashville, and so what I'm about to say shouldn't be taken as like that startling, but. I think that there should at least be like a 40, 60, or 60%, 40% kind of split from now on. Let re, let Saros get his starts. Stop sending him down to Milwaukee to play an odd game once every two weeks and then call him back up. Just let Saros stay with Nashville. Let him play. Don't, you know, don't do just back-to-backs because eventually there's not a, there's not a ton of those. Um, he's proven that he's good enough. I remember, uh, it must have been like three weeks ago, where I did I had an article on the differences between the Predators in front of both Saros and Rene. And this was at that point, Rene had about 1,000 minutes, and I think Saros had about like 450 or 500 minutes. So, you know, the sample sizes weren't totally, you know, correct with each other, but I, it was still worth looking at. And what I found was that the Predators were actually uh, worse defensively in front of Saros, especially from the high slot area. Uh, Rene, of course, and isn't getting much help in front of his own net, but the centers were doing a much better job of, of kind of taking that high slot where the wingers and the centers for the Predators were just not doing that at all for Saros. And uh, when I actually looked closer into it, I found that it was a little bit of an anomaly because earlier in the season, when Saros was getting absolutely zero help in front of his net, uh, in, you know the Predators were going down 2 to nothing or 3 nothing early on. They would have to start cheating out of the zone. And so Saros was kind of left to his own devices and then when other teams would score, would continue to score because Saros wasn't getting any help, I think a lot of the blame was unfairly put upon him. Um, but as as we see now more with uh, with the games, especially like Edmonton, where the pressure is hemmed in their own zone, I think uh, some of the centers and wingers have started to kind of figure out that they need to, you know, come back, play a little tighter defense, especially in that slot area. I think one of the big issues is that they have too much faith in Rene to kind of bail him out. And don't get me wrong, I, I love Rene, but right now he's saving uh, 90% of the shots that come from high-danger zones. 
which is up from, uh, I think it's like 78%, which is like the national average, um, which is completely insane. You know, we always talk about coming back to the mean. Well, that's going to drop like an asteroid. That's going to, that's going to fall really hard eventually. And I don't think that the predators can continue to cheat out of their zone while, uh, while Rene is a net like that. But to get back from my tangent, yes, I think that Saros should definitely get more starts. I think that the Predators are starting to play much better in front of Saros and are starting to kind of play a little bit more respectfully in front of Rene as well. So 60-40, groom the future, because Rene says he's not sure how many years he has left. He says he has three. I don't think he has three at, at this pace that he's going at and at this level that he's going at. But, you know, you can never, you know, what's the worst that happens? Saros steps in and is now your starter. That right now that seems okay to me. Yeah, I mean, going into the season, I kind of was hoping for maybe closer to sixty forty, like you said. You know, of, of course, referring to Rene playing sixty percent of the games and Saros playing forty. Yes, I was not expecting Pecorine to be as good as he has been this year. So that has definitely complicated the issue somewhat. It's hard to sit, sit the guy who's saving, like you said, ninety percent of the high danger shots against him. Um, which yeah, the, I think the national average is like seventy six. So yeah, he's he's way above. It's nuts. Um, yeah, I mean it's crazy. And and like you said, you know, you're all kind of waiting for it to come back down. Uh, but at his pace right now, it, it, you know, you don't necessarily see that. Although he definitely something was in his head in Carolina or against Carolina, um, and you know he he did play well in in Minnesota, but not uh, you know not the Pecorino that can absolutely save the game like we've seen so many times this year. So I, I agree. I think at this point, now that we start, maybe start to started to see Arena coming back down towards the average, which is still good. I mean, it's not like he's going to, you know, sink to the bottom. He's, you know, being a nine fifteen or higher goalie is going to still be very good. Yeah, the Predators at five on five are getting a ninety three save percentage across the board. That, that's incredible. Yeah, that's like two points up from from what's probably going yeah. what they're probably going to end with. Yeah, that's beyond elite. Uh, so it's it's hard, yeah. I mean, it's hard to sit the guy when he's starting that well. But I agree, it's it's only going to improve everyone season because Saros will develop more, Rene will get more rest and be better in his starts. The team will be better because they have two, you know, a well rested and a very good young goaltender. Well, yeah, it, every night. So. If you if you want to ask someone, ask Capitals fans or ask uh, Montreal Canadiens fans about how about how tired yes. Brain Holtby and Carey Price look after like a yeah. round of the playoffs after they played sixty five or seventy games. Just, yeah. Especially, and those guys are in the prime of their careers and are as healthy as a horse. I mean, Carey Price not anymore, but you know, Pecorine, you know, while he's healthy and while he hasn't had like a lot of injuries, still thirty five. He's getting up there. Like for a goalie that relies on his athleticism and flexibility, he's you know one one uh, butterfly away or one you know one sweeping movement away from you know uh, just tearing his groin apart. So I don't. I'm I'm of the mind of getting him, giving him some rest, especially as the year goes on. Yeah. Um, and then I guess to keep the theme of young kind of prospects, although I'd say Saros is far from a prospect at this point. Um, another young player to be talking about is of course uh, Ellie Tolvanen, who's been uh, kind of in the minds of every Predators fan and a lot of NHL fans since he was drafted this past year. Uh, currently. Let's see. He's got he has 32 points through 39 games uh, in the KHL, and then he's playing currently with Finland in the World Juniors, and he has three assists in three games. Uh, I thought this was interesting. He has 22 shots on goal in those three games, which is I think the next highest player Finnish player has 13. So he's you know close to doubling the next highest shot on goal from his team. So the the guy likes shooting the puck, um, and he's currently he's getting it done with the assists, but. I assume the goals will start coming as if he can keep that production up in this tournament. Mm. And so the, I guess the question is turned to when we will see Ellie Tolvin in, in Nashville. It's possible that, you know, people have spoken of bringing him back for the regular season this year. I, I, I pretty seriously doubt that will be the case. Although the injury to Forsberg, I guess does make that a slightly more interesting question. Well, he has to, he has um, to finish out his first year at Joker. It's a, it's a, okay. it's a one in one contract with a, with a player option at the end of the first year. But Joker, it looks like they're going to go on a deep playoff run from what I've heard. So yeah, he might, I mean, he might be back by like the first or second round of the playoffs. And at that point, do you really want to drop him in there? Yeah, unless there's substantial injuries yeah. really limiting the forward core, I don't see any real point 
I mean, he's a great player. You'd have to really be sure that he was going to substantially improve your offense to drop him in. First NHL games being, um, I, I assume he'll still be 18. He might be 19 by then. You know, playing in the NHL playoffs for a, a potential cup contender, that, that does seem like it might be a bit of a culture shock for him. Well, it's not just that, uh, but also in the playoffs, you gotta be you got to make sure that your player can go both ways. You need to make sure that he can actually be reliable true. on defense. And from what I've seen so far and the few KHL games I've watched and the World Juniors is he doesn't seem that interested in playing defense, which is a little scary for me just because I know that Peter Laviolette likes to have you know, his forwards kind of be defensively minded too. Ryan Johansson and Philip Forsberg are actually very are two of the better forwards on defense despite being just absolutely incredible offensively. So I'm not sure I'm not sure that it would actually be a good idea just to rush him back. My my thought process was is that you bring him back in twenty eighteen, but at the start of next season. And you actually you actually have him play in the AHL a couple games just to kind of get, you know, accustomed to a North American ice again, just because and I know people are gonna crucify me for saying that because he was he was in the USHL, but Still, he's been playing and scoring on international ice. Uh, he might need a, a little more time to kind of... He might need another, like, two or three games just to kind of readjust to North American ice against some really top competition. I have been impressed with his offensive play on the smaller rink. Uh, I think he's done well in in, the, in Buffalo with the World Juniors. But, I, yeah, you're right. I mean, for a, a very young kind of sniper-style forward, it, it is going to be a learning curve to get that back check and get that defensive aspect of his game up to par uh Corey when when do you think I guess what's the earliest do you think we should see Tolvin in Nashville maybe training camp next year I mean I don't I don't, I don't see okay. any way that he should be here this year unless unless catastrophe happens and you know we can I mean like he said earlier you have to, he has to finish out his season with uh, Joker which is not likely to happen before uh playoff time here so I mean it's it's if we were, if we're going to see him, I know we're getting kind of enamored with uh, players this year. With uh, I was it Patrick Lane with Winnipeg, who is you know a, a finished born player who's got thirty one points on the year and doing really really well, nineteen years old. But I don't think Tolovan is. I don't think we need Tolovan. I don't think we need to see him until next year. Uh, let him come to camp. Let him play a little bit of AHL after that, and then if he's really lighting things on fire, we can look at bringing him in. But right now, the the depth that we have in the top two lines is is significant. The third line, we could probably use someone like him uh, next year. It depends on who you know how things play out in the uh, off season, but. I, I don't think he needs to be around until next year. I think that's the earliest. Let him get some time to, like George was saying, get used to North American ice again. Get get used to the, the way things are played over here, and, and then let's see what he can do. Yeah, I, I'm in agreement with you, but I don't see any real benefit of, of rushing him into things. Uh, I, I It would be fun to see. I mean, I assume he will be at training camp with Nashville this year, or in summer, rather, which will be fun. Uh, you get to kind of get to know his new teammates a little bit uh get used to some bigger you know nhl style bodies uh but yeah i think definitely a, a stint in milwaukee and um you know just easing them in will, will be the best thing for him and probably for the team you want to um, wonder who i've been really impressed with the world juniors and i'm gonna keep banging this drum is uh dante fabro he's looked really good yeah yeah i really liked yeah, him been very good he's been He's been a defensive force. I did not see that coming, too. He's, I mean, I saw a little bit of him at, in uh, Boston U, but sweet Jesus, he's been just a stalwart. He hasn't recorded any points yet, but he's looked, he's looked decent in the offensive zone. But, man, uh, especially in the game against the Americans, uh, he, he shut down Casey Middlestat for the majority of the—he of the, shut him down for the first few periods. And then, for some odd reason, they just kind of took— they took Fabro off Middlestat, and then you saw Middlestat record like three assists in the third period. Uh, like yeah. I don't know, this, I'm I'm liking Dante Fabro more and more, and I wish that he could. He he seems to me like a little bit less offensively gifted. Uh, Charlie McAvoy, I'm I'm pretty excited for him to come up. Yeah, he was one that I was really excited to see during training camp, um, especially during that. Uh, um, I guess I went to that, what is it, Future Stars game, and and I was actually kind of disappointed by his showing, but, uh, I mean, there's you can't judge a player based on a week of training camp and, and a mm-hmm. rookie game. And you're right, I think he has been a, a kind of a quiet uh, stud in, in his 
play with Canada in the World Juniors. Um, you know, Nationals, you know, we always say Nationals didn't have enough good defensemen, right? So uh, it'll be nice to see yet another one come through the pipes. Uh, hopefully, uh, maybe in the next year or two, I guess, we would probably start thinking about seeing Fabro up, up in the top league. Um, looking at the week ahead, it's a long road trip for the Predators. They've got uh, a rematch against the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, prepare to see a lot of jokes on Twitter about uh, the Twitter, you know, Vegas Twitter reporting, talking about the whatever. I don't, yeah, reporter. I don't even know how to really sum that issue up. Uh, the apology they had in the in the uh, retraction they had to uh, issue because of the Nashville uh, game. Yeah, just prepare for a lot of jokes about that. Um, then they're going into Arizona to play a very bad Arizona Coyotes team, um, which I'm honestly a little worried about that game from a Predators perspective. Uh, and then they close out the week in Saturday or on Saturday rather in Los Angeles against a very good Kings team. Of course, I believe they got the the, the Arvidsson overtime game winning goal, which is pretty great last last time they played this year. So anyway, it's going to be a fun week. Uh, I'll, I'll switch it up and, and start with George. What do you think about this Vegas game? You think what do you think we should be looking for? Uh, I don't even know watching Vegas anymore. Nine zero and one in their last ten games. I just, uh, it, and that's at Vegas, right? I'm pretty sure it is. Yep. 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 Watch out for the Vegas flu, um, especially from all right. the Europeans. I don't. <laughs> I don't know, man. This. When it comes to Vegas, nothing I say matters anymore just because I don't think I could get anything right that I, I could predict about them. So I'm just going to say that Vegas wins 30 nothing and note for the best. There you yeah. go. Um, I, I think the story of their last matchup was really goaltending. Uh, I think and Mal- we saw Malcolm Subban, of course, said, uh, unless you know anything happens, we'll see Marc-Andre Fleury in that. Um, I believe, actually, of course, as I say that, I'm wondering if Vegas might have a back-to-back. But I don't think so because I'm pretty sure they're playing tonight yeah, and, against. Toronto. And they're starting Malcolm Subban tonight. Yeah, oh, actually, okay. they're actually yeah, starting them right now, and they're already up two zero on Toronto. They had two goals. Yeah, oh, that two goals going? in the first four Man. minutes. So yeah, it's okay, yeah they're great. on fire right now. And Subban, oh, Subban right. is fantastic. I mean, he's just he's been playing great. And if you look at one of the stats that kills me about uh, Malcolm Subban is um, he's faced nine shots in shootouts and stopped every single one of them. Like he has a perfect record in shootouts right now, which I know isn't yeah. I know doesn't say a lot, but I mean a lot of goalies have a are like a sixty six percent or whatever. He hasn't faced that many in his career, but he's just been playing some fantastic goal for uh, for Vegas. So it's it's going to be a tough game. It's going to be a tough game. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm after seeing the last game against Vegas, they just looked very tough, and uh, you know, like George, you were alluding to, that's not necessarily what we would have. Uh, anticipated with this team um i think if you find anyone who tells you that they thought vegas would be first in the western conference and pretty much a guaranteed playoff contender i would you can call them a liar because i don't think anyone in the world would have predicted the success that they're having great uh, especially with you know the month they had like uh, you know ahl or lower goaltenders uh in that for yeah. them so it'll be a tough yeah. game, uh, and hopefully, I'm hoping the team, the, the Predators, can avoid, as you say, the Vegas flu, um, stay off the strip, uh, get to the hotel early, that sort of thing. But you know, doubt they will. Even if they heard this, they certainly probably wouldn't listen. So, yeah. uh, anyhow, then going into uh, Scottsdale on Thursday night to face the Coyotes. As I mentioned, the Coyotes just really struggling this year. Um, as the kids say, they're falling for Dolly. Is that I know George, you roll your eyes because that doesn't actually. It's not rhyme, his name. But, uh, I tried to make it rhyme there. I yeah, I have true. my own, but I can't say it on a general podcast. So <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, the, the Coyotes uh, objectively are not a very good opponent. However, Nashville, I, in my in recent memory, does not have a good record against bad opponents. Um, they seem to sort of match the level of play of their opponents. And I always, for whatever reason, I always think it should fall to Ryan Johansson because he seems like he might be the cool one, you know, <laughs> the cool guy on the team, the young, good center. And I think that he should be the one that's like, you know what, we're not going to goof around tonight. We're actually going to try to play a good hockey game. Um, 
So, you know, really, we, we should make it our mission to get this podcast to the Predators locker room because I'm giving them all kinds of great <laughs> advice here. Stay off the strip. Johansson, stop being cool and just be a nerd and play hockey well. Um, yeah, yeah, I guess that's that's it so far. Yeah. Uh, George, do you think two two points are coming out of Arizona, or do you think we'll, we'll, this might be the trap game that I'm worried about? I think I think they're going to come out of it with two points. Uh, yeah, just uh, the Arizona Coyotes are just not good at all. Even with even with like good players on their team, they just can't put it together. Which probably good, which is probably another sign that they have bad coaching. I'm not. I was never really a big Rick Tockett fan, but uh, you know, we'll, we'll we'll see how this goes. I'm I am pretty excited. I always like seeing. I always like when the Predators go play uh, these very younger teams, the very younger teams, because I really like seeing Clayton Calder and Max Domi, uh, Jacob Chitrin, um, and even like. Did you just call him Clayton Calder? Did I really? Oh God, <laughs> yeah. he's not even my pick for the Calder anymore. But yeah, Clayton Keller. Uh, <laughs> I thought you just tried to sneak that by me, and I wasn't going to have it. That's a fine. <laughs> That's a fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I like I like seeing all those young players play, and because there's no real system that they play in, they get to be really creative. And so they get to do, you know, they get to try things, and that, that's kind of cool. It doesn't win games, but it's it's kind of fun to watch. <laughs> Take solace in that, Cody. Yeah. Suits. You won't win games, but it's fun. Yeah. Uh, uh, Corey, kind of some similar thoughts in, in Arizona, or do you think maybe an upset is in the works? You know, every time I say there's, it's, it should be an easy game and they should get their two points, you know what? I'm going to change my tune a little bit. They're going to walk out with a with a five zero shutout. That's what's going to happen. They're going to shut them down. They're going to they're oh. going to go all out, and wow. they're just, it's going to be a great another great game for Soros. It's going to be a net. That's I predict that. Uh, Turris is going to have two goals and an assist. Uh, uh, you know, oh I'm going to have you know power play. No, I just, you're just predicting it down well, to the wire or down well, to the you know, I, I, I guess Who's going to have the best face-off percentage, though? Well, <laughs> that's going to that's be Johansson, because what's going to happen is Johansson's going to get the best face-off. He's going to win 100% of his face-offs. No, I, you know, they should have their two points. Yeah, I hate to be sarcastic about things, but, you know, I they, they, they should get their two points. There's no reason that Nashville should be even – considering losing this game or walking out with one point. I mean, it's just like, it (laughs) should be a win. You go in, you win. That's the way it should be. Top team in the central versus the worst team in the, in the, in the whole league. Um, But we know this is the predator way. And sometimes they play down to their competition. (laughs) Yep. Um, Yeah. I'll agree with you both and just say two points. Uh, It will be a very, uh, very much a missed opportunity if they get anything fewer than two points out of Arizona. Um, and it will be the first game this year, first Coyotes game this year that I will not be pulling for the Coyotes. So sorry about that. Um, I always have a soft spot for the teams that are really struggling, but I, you know, I gotta be a homer and just hope that Nashville buries them. I hope it's five Oh, although it won't be a shutout because now we're talking about it being a shutout. So five, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I ruined it for everybody. Um, didn't I? Oh man. Yeah, that's all right. That's all right. Um, finally, the trip to a much uh, objectively much stronger opponent in the Los Angeles Kings on Saturday night. That'll be a, a huge game. Um, again, you know, the, we'll see. Of course, that's the furthest west. There'll be probably the the strongest effects of that real big time time difference uh, playing late at night. And the Kings are doing very well. I think they are they in second right now behind Vegas. By, by a point. They've kind of been hovering around that first. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they've been hovering around that first in the Pacific mark. Um, I will predict uh, that you know we got the National got the overtime win last time. I'm going to predict a uh, perhaps an overtime loss just to just to put a concrete prediction down on paper. Uh, George, what do you think about uh, the Kings? Um, that's going to be in. Uh, that's going to be in LA, correct? Yeah, yes. I'll, I'd probably give. Uh, I'll probably get one to the Kings. Actually, then I think it's going to be a good game, but uh, you know, that, that's a tough road trip to do Vegas, and then you know play another game, even if it's just against the Coyotes, and then go to, uh, and then go to LA. So uh, I think it's going to be a really good game. I think it's going to be hard fought. It also depends uh, on the Kings' schedule. If they start Jonathan Quick, then I think it's going to be uh, Predators lost but if they start Darcy Cumper or whoever else I think that the Predators will have a really good shot at that one uh yeah I think um, I think that should be the best the most fun game I think Vegas will be a good game but probably a little more defensively minded I think the Kings game might just be a an offensive match which will be a lot of fun 
Um, I guess we're just about out of time, so we, why don't we just plug ourselves online, George? Where can we find your thoughts and your work? I always find me on predlines.com. I write there constantly. And then find me on Twitter at GeorgeM1019. G and the M are capitalized as always. Uh, it's a good time. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good time. Uh, and Corey, what about you? Uh, at J. Corey Francis on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, also, jcoreyfrancis.com for my other website, which has been uh, not a lot going on there lately, but there's going to be some big stuff coming up here in January doing a, a whole new website. So that's going to be working uh, up and running pretty quickly. Uh, otherwise, on Predlines. As for myself, you can find me at wadem1994 on Twitter. You can always find me at predlines.com. Wait him, as George always has yep. to make a joke about. Uh, <laughs> Wait him, 1994. Uh, and aside from that, you'll probably find us here on the podcast next week. So thank you for joining us, and thanks to Corey and George for uh, getting in, getting together on a on a Sunday and, and doing this. So we'll see you guys next week. <laughs>